0: Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to take a quick moment to pause and to thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning into this conversation as you adjust to a new normal. Thank you for being a part of this growing, engaged community of enrollment marketers. I'm so proud of what we're building here, and I'm moved by the feedback, the editorial contributions, and the support that so many of you have provided. We're gonna need each other now more than ever before, and I want you to know that Enrollify is here. We're listening. We're thinking hard about how to provide value during this moment. I wanna especially thank our partners who make the work we do here possible. We're really selective in who we pick to sponsor our conversations, so I encourage each of you to check out what they have to offer. Request a demo, download an ebook, or engage in an exploratory conversation with them. These are exceptional people who really care about bettering the enrollment marketing space. Today's sponsor is no exception. Blackthorn.io, a Salesforce App Exchange partner, is the most beautiful, simple, yet powerful native Salesforce events platform on the market. Due to the coronavirus, their team has spent the last couple of weeks working tirelessly to update their solution. And now, admissions departments and other event planners can connect tools like Zoom directly to their existing event processes, which makes online recruitment easy to manage entirely in Salesforce. If you use Salesforce as your CRM and need ideas on how to move your recruitment and admissions events online, please go and read Kristen Hicks' latest blog post at blackthorn.io forward slash blog. That's blackthorn.io forward slash blog Kristen is the director of marketing and partnerships at blackthorne but she spent several years working in higher education admissions before this role so she can completely empathize with the challenges that so many of you are facing right now read her post and request a behind the scenes look at blackthorne's app at blackthorne.io forward slash blog Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. Each week, the Enrollify podcast equips you with insights into how the latest trends in marketing and technology are impacting today's enrollment marketers. Every episode is designed to inspire new creative ideas for how to optimize the resources you have to generate the results that you need. My name is Zach Buzicruz, and I am the host of today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Cruz, and I am the host of today's episode and today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Katie Linder who is the Executive Director for Program Development at Kansas State University Global Campus. Welcome to the show, Katie.
1: Thanks, Zach. I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: Katie, can you just give us a quick overview of who you are, what your role at KSU's global campus looks like? and you know maybe just a cliff notes uh, sort of overview of your career to date?
1: Sure. So um, like many of your listeners, I know people in higher ed can come from a lot of different backgrounds. So my background is my PhD and my master's degree are both in women's gender and sexuality studies. So I came out of the humanities. But then I very quickly went into faculty development. So I directed a center for teaching and learning at Suffolk University in Boston. And then I went from there to direct the eCampus research unit at Oregon State University. And I was there for several years. And then now I'm at Kansas State University Global Campus. And I've been in this role for just seven weeks. So it's a relatively recent move. Um, Yeah. So it's been really fun to kind of get to know all the people on campus through this experience. Um, but my work has mostly been centered on supporting faculty and teaching and learning settings across a range of different modalities. Like some of my books have included, um, the blended course design workbook. I also have one on managing professional identity online, and then most recently going all to act, a guide to alternative academic careers. So I do a lot of work around faculty development and support.
0: Fantastic. And are are there any actual, are you relating with students at all in this role or is is it primarily just a kind of faculty liaison sort of role?
1: So the role that I'm in now is I work primarily with faculty and departments to think about kind of strategic directions for online program development and course development. So I have instructional designers who report to me in my unit. I also have some um, program coordinators who work with the colleges and think kind of from a strategic standpoint, what are some different courses and programs that might work well with their curriculum that we would want to move online And then we also do some work with non-credit as well. So um, yes, I am primarily working with um, faculty and administrators and leadership on campus. And then we have another unit within Global Campus who liaises more with our students.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, so today we're, we're here to talk about some of the ways in which schools are responding creatively to the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, the expected return date for quote unquote business as usual is uh, changing by the hour. I'm just curious if you can give us some examples of schools or programs or institutes within schools that you think are responding really well to this crisis that we're, that we're all living through right now.
1: That's a really good question. I guess I would say I don't want to call out any schools specifically because I think we're all kind of doing the best we can. And some people, for that means they're doing really well in a particular area and they're kind of catching up in another area. But I would say that I think institutions that already had a strong online portfolio or institutions who had dealt with academic continuity issues in the past, such as those who were disrupted in the last couple of years by wildfires or other natural disasters, I think those institutions have a little bit of an advantage in the situation. They may have more infrastructure around online learning support. They may have more policies around academic continuity because they've kind of already gone through this. That said, I think we're dealing with a situation that really is unprecedented for a lot of us. And so there's a lot of logistics that we're all kind of needing to figure out for the first time. And those logistics can be very campus specific and, and very regional based on kind of who your student population is. So I would say, I guess, in general, that institutions who are rapidly responding, who are communicating clearly and consistently with all of their campus stakeholders, they're doing a really great job in a very difficult set of circumstances.
0: I'm curious, just as a quick follow-up to that, one of the things that we've seen kind of going around, specifically on social media over the past 48 hours, is uh, a lot of OPMs, online program managers, kind of running ads and, and doing outreach saying, you know, we're here to help. Um, and don't want to, again, don't want to call it anyone specifically here, but I'm just curious kind of from the, from an academic standpoint, right, from what you're hearing uh, at KSU or just kind of through your faculty contacts throughout the field, um, how, what, how do people feel about program man- online program managers or, or other vendors kind of stepping in and, um, using this as an opportunity to sell additional services? Is, is that sort of support welcomed right now or what is kind of the academic reaction to that?
1: That's a really good question, Zach. I think that there's a, a pretty wide spectrum of reactions. Um, and also, I would add it to the mix that because many of us have, have, have had conferences canceled recently in this kind of online teaching and learning space, the vendors who would have gone to those conferences are also reaching out um, yeah. and trying to follow up. Um, and the timing for that, you know, is isn't fantastic, given everything that's going on. Um, I would say that for people that are vendors that we already have kind of trusted relationships with or that we, we've already been working with and they're coming to us and saying, you know, let's expand your licenses or, you know, let's create a situation where you have more access on your campus or we're, we're giving you kind of a, a longer contract or something like that. I think that that's a different kind of situation than a new vendor we, that we've never worked with that's reaching out and kind of trying to solve you know a problem for us. And it's not that you know we don't have those problems to be solved, but anytime you work with a new vendor and you're scaling that vendor, you need to test the product. You, there's various things you need to do to kind of get it up and running at scale. And there's security issues to think about, there's accessibility issues to think about. And so it's, it's challenging to kind of bring something new into the mix when we're all a little bit in crisis mode. So I think it really depends on that prior relationship, what the kind of really distinct need is on a campus. And I would definitely say, you know that it's not like a don't ever contact anyone, you know because I think there are certainly campuses that really do need some of these services. but it's a little bit hard when we're putting out different fires um, all over our our kind of portfolios on our campuses to have these emails coming in um, at the same time. it's it's kind of one more thing to juggle. So I think it depends. It depends on on what your needs are and what those relationships look like.
0: Sure, sure. So late last week, you and your team, I don't know exactly the uh, the date of this official launch. I saw an article that you were featured in last Friday, but uh, sometime late last week, you and your team launched an online forum for educators around the world uh, where people can ask questions and share ideas about facilitating instruction remotely. Can you explain what inspired you all to create this space and how educators can best leverage it for support? during these, again, challenging times.
1: Absolutely. So this space actually launched a week ago today as we record this. Um, It was on a Tuesday morning. And a couple of weeks ago, before that point, I think we were all kind of scrambling to try to find resources that might help us respond to the situation. I saw a lot of things being shared on Twitter and various listservs that I belong to. And there was some overlap in what was being shared, but they, they weren't really being collected or curated in any way that seemed kind of meaningful, or that a large group could have access to some of these resources. And I had used the platform um, Mighty Networks and other projects and thought that it might be a good fit for this situation. Um, Basically, it allows you to have conversations within a, you can have a public community, you can have a private community. In this case, this is a public community. And it allows us to post resources, um, host live events, bring people together, organize information, you know, relatively quickly and easily, And really just provide support for people at scale. And so we were interested in kind of connecting people on our campus to people on other campuses because this is the situation where I think we can all support each other and realize that this is bigger than just our own institutions. So we created this space, it's called Keep Teaching Resources for Higher Ed, and basically just invited anyone in who could use the support. So we have faculty in there, we have some educational developers in there, Um, We have some human resources folks in there. I mean, pretty much anyone in the higher ed space that really is looking for some guidance and and some support from colleagues. And now we have over 1,200 people in there Um, and it's growing every day. So it's been a really fun community to engage with. I think people are just being so kind to each other and trying to provide as, as many resources as we can. And it's allowing things to not get lost in the mix. And I think that we know that academic continuity, it can happen again. You know, like, I mean, we're all kind of dealing with it now. I, I think there's a, a good chance that this community will remain kind of open and available for people for the next time that we have a situation or, or an institution has a situation where they're really scrambling. Um, and I think that I just looked around and said, we all don't need to be recreating the wheel. You know, like we can be sharing resources in a way that really feels supportive and, and tries to relieve some of the stress that people are feeling during this time.
0: Sure. Is there a particular content topic or is there a particular thread that has been um, especially helpful?
1: So I think that one of the things that we found, especially from faculty, is they're coming in from very different disciplines and saying, how do I teach art online? Mm. How do I teach, you know, um, labs online? You know, there's, there's a lot of conversation among people trying to figure out kind of the ins and outs of doing that. And so we've created groups that are specific to those kind of discipline groupings that would allow people to come in and share resources and support for each other. Um, And I think that, again, we're kind of looking around and seeing on the listserv, like, these are the questions that keep coming up over and over again. And rather than kind of recycling all those resources over and over again via email, we can pull them all into this community, tag them in that group, and say, here's where you go. You know, if you're looking for resources on this topic, go join this group and kind of filter through the resources that are there. So that's been one of the bigger issues I've seen um, are things along those lines, the other thing I would say has been really popular, and you may have seen this kind of floating around um, the Internet various spaces, is people are starting to curate information in really helpful ways through, like, spreadsheets and other kinds of documents that are crowdsourcing information, and we've pulled a lot of that into this community as well. And those are really popular, I think, for people who are trying to just get large amounts of information that's crowdsourced in a, a relatively quick time frame.
0: We'll jump right back into the conversation after a quick message from this episode's sponsor. To say that the last few weeks have been crazy might be the greatest understatement of 2020. In a way, the whole world has stopped, and yet enrollment marketers are still expected to successfully seat the fall 2020 class. The good news, we're also living through one of the greatest moments of innovation in history. And where there is innovation, there is always hope. I've been chatting with a number of our listeners on LinkedIn over the past few days, and the question I get asked over and over again is, how do I successfully move live recruitment events online? Folks have been asking me about whether webinars or Facebook live streams are better, what promotional tactics they should be using, and what the best tools for online event management are. As an enrollment marketing technologist, I've seen my fair share of event management apps. Most of them are clunky, glitchy, and don't truly integrate with your CRM or SIS, even if they say that they do. And that's why I love Blackthorn.io. Blackthorn Events is the best native Salesforce events platform on the market. If you're an enrollment marketer using Salesforce as your CRM and or SIS, and you're looking for an end-to-end management solution for your recruitment and or on-campus events, Chris, Kristen, and the entire Blackthorn team are your people. We're living through a moment that is nothing short of historical. COVID-19 is fundamentally changing the way that we attract, engage, and delight new students. But the show must go on. Let's start reimagining your event marketing strategy by checking out Blackthorn solutions at blackthorn.io. As Tony Robbins would say, change is inevitable, but progress is a choice. You can choose progress by signing up to learn more about how Blackthorn is helping schools like yours change well visit blackthorn.io. Fun fact, Tony Robbins is one of their clients. Again, get started, request a demo at blackthorn.io. Taking just a a quick step back uh, here, I'm curious to just hear your thoughts as somebody who um, has been in this space for a while. Has experience kind of teaching in a remote context. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the do's and don'ts of remote instruction? Uh, again, I know that this will vary quite dramatically based off of an individual's context. But can you describe a, a sort of framework for how educators should think about delivering content, evaluating work, and offering support during this time? Is there are there just kind of, kind of a couple of do's and don'ts that you have? Uh, that you have gathered over the years that would be worth sharing with our audience?
1: Sure. So I think there's actually a really, a ton of different successful ways to do remote instruction. Like there is definitely not one way that is, you know, the, the right way. But I do think that one of the key things is to create an environment that can be really flexible for learners. We're still needing remote learning environments to be accessible for students with disabilities, We also need them to be open for students who don't have great internet connections um, or who are working from a mobile device. We have some students right now who don't have their course materials because they had to move off campus really rapidly. Um, So we just need to keep in mind that students can't go right now to a campus library or a Starbucks for Wi-Fi or they can't borrow a computer maybe from their roommate. You know, like they're, they're in a very different situation now than they were even just a couple of weeks ago. So I think what we provide to them has to be just radically flexible. And that's tough. I mean, that's a creative act of teaching is to really figure out how to do that. But I think that that's a really fundamental thing to consider. I would say it's also really helpful to remember that the learning we're offering in a remote environment is really an approximation For what we would do in another classroom setting. So, because we're in a bit of an emergency situation and we know things are just rapidly evolving and it's really hard to keep up with that, instructors may not be able to follow best practices. And I've heard some people describe remote instruction as a kind of lifeboat approach. Hmm. You know, this is not the time to be trying the coolest tools and like really trying to figure out the best practices and where the research says we should, you know, do certain things a certain way. We really need to keep our expectations for ourselves and for our students reasonable, knowing that this is a stressful time for everybody. So really connecting in with that humanity of understanding that we're all a little bit stressed out. We're trying to be flexible. We're here to support each other. Those things, I think, are really important when it comes to this kind of remote instruction.
0: One of the questions that I've seen floating around a lot is, is the question of whether or not you do something like a recorded lecture that then gets sent out and students have something like 24 hours to engage with the content versus having people kind of log in and, you know, do some sort of Zoom, live Zoom course or something like that. Just curious, have you seen, um, if, uh, maybe in the online forum, have people been discussing which approach seems to be a little bit more popular or a little bit more doable or a little bit more scalable, again, considering this context that we're in?
1: Yeah, I think the concern for a lot of people, especially thinking about that flexible environment, is we now have students who may not be in the same time zone as the original time their class was being taught, so thinking about those synchronous sessions could be a little bit tougher for them. Um, There is also some issues, I think. We we have still yet to see the capacity Hmm. of some of these online services, and especially with the synchronous, you know, what they can do we do need to remember that the whole world is going online right now. <laughs> it's not yeah. just higher education institutions, it's businesses, it's, it's K-12 in some cases. And that's really going to test the limits of what these um, companies can do. And I think that that piece, you know, it requires a little bit of a backup plan. So I think that in some faculty's minds, it, the synchronous option may be the easiest just because it is the closest approximation to what they were doing at the same time, um, we need that kind of plan B in case for whatever reason, um, students can't do that live video. And, and maybe it's because they don't have Wi-Fi, or they don't have a way to connect or they are in a different time zone. I, I can expect that some of our students maybe trying to do jobs even remotely because they have more flexible schedules now than they did before. So, you know, all of those things are going to kind of come into the mix in terms of um, the things we need to be concerned about. Uh, For us, we are starting to kind of encourage a little more synchronous, or I'm sorry, asynchronous engagement for our faculty um, because we want them to just be thinking really carefully about those different options for our students.
0: On a more positive note, uh, what opportunities do you believe that this coronavirus crisis Creates for higher ed. A lot of our listeners are people who are enrollment marketers, so they're working in higher education admissions and marketing. Most of them are kind of at the director or VP levels. They oversee graduate admissions or undergraduate admissions, or they are overseeing enrollment management as a whole within the context of their institution. Uh, I'm just really, I'm curious to see what, to hear, excuse me, what your thoughts are on the opportunities that this uh, moment really uh, uh, creates for us. And specifically, if you can can speak at all to this, about what sort of opportunities it it creates from a recruitment standpoint.
1: I would say that I think this situation has given us all a chance, kind of first of all, to really test our infrastructures in a range of ways across campus. We are going to have more robust support structures. Faculty are going to be more aware of different teaching tools. Students are going to become more resilient through this experience. And offices across campus are really going to know the core elements of their work and be reminded of the priorities that really matter for them during this period. So I do think it's offered us all a reminder of what our core educational mission really is. Uh, Why are we here, especially when we all have to band together in this kind of all hands on deck kind of situation? I think that that can be leveraged in some ways for marketing purposes. I mean, if we were to think in that direction, I would also say, though, that I think that this is a time when we are really going to get to know our students incredibly well. Hmm. We are going to hear about their challenges. We're going to hear about the things that are really important to them when it comes to their educational experiences. We're going to have to comfort students that are grieving the fact that they will not have a commencement um, when they graduate. You know, all of those things, I think, will bring us closer together. And I think when it comes to working with students and recruiting students and really understanding what their needs are and whether our institution is a good fit for them, we need to know them. We need to deeply understand what their motivations are. And I think we're going to get a front receipt to that um, mm. through this experience. And it's not always going to come to us in the most positive ways. I think we're going to hear some complaints. I think, you know, we're going to all have to kind of be flexible as we're dealing with the situation. But it's good data to help us see what they really care about and how we can be responsive to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea, too, that maybe through this experience, one of the things that both faculty and recruitment staff Um, we'll have a much better understanding of who are the right fit students for these programs, who are the right fit students for our institution. And I think higher ed as a whole, you know, before the coronavirus has been in a, a, you know, a, a sort of crisis in and of itself of trying to understand its value proposition. And specifically at the graduate level, who should we be attracting? What are our what program offerings do we have that, that are the right fit for a particular audience? And perhaps as you' as you're suggesting here, through this experience, we'll all have a much better sense of uh, the right quality of student that a particular institution is you know, is the right fit for is looking for. And you know in, in, uh, from a recruitment standpoint, that can help dramatically reduce the cost to acquire said student if you have a better understanding of who exactly it is that you're going after. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So considering, again, this, this current reality that is just it's seemingly impossible not to continue to talk about, if there were three things that you could mandate or strongly encourage is probably a better way of, of expressing this, uh, that our listeners do um, uh, after listening to our conversation today, what would those things be?
1: That's really great question, Zach. Um, I think I would start by saying, just given my experience in the last couple of weeks, open up your email and send a note of thanks to someone who has really positively impacted your work this week. Um, this is an area where I think we all need to be showing so much gratitude. I think about the individuals I've worked with to update our website in the past several days, you know, my team that has had to be really flexible. There's just, there's so many people who are making this work. Um, in a really difficult time. So I would say that's number one. Um, Number two, I would recommend that people go take a nap. Um, (laughs) because We've all been sprinting. Um, We've all been sprinting and this is a marathon situation and we really need to be rested and recharged for what's to come. And I've heard colleagues saying, you know, they're working 21 hour days, you know, they're really pushing hard and we need to keep our immune systems up. We need to be understanding that this is a longer term situation than just this week and or just this weekend last week. You know, we, we really need to be taking care of ourselves. Um, and then I, I think third, I would recommend that people find something that really helps shift their brain to off mode once the workday is over, um, especially now that we're all working remotely or a lot of us are working remotely. I think a lot is being asked of us right now and we need to be able to power down um, at the end of the day so that we don't burn out uh, both physically and cognitively. So whatever it is that allows you to kind of step away and, you know, really power down, I think is going to be really useful. So we're all going to get through this. Um, We're going to need to do it one piece at a time. So just make sure that you're taking care of yourself as you're going through it.
0: I love it. I've got two final questions for you. The first one is just for, again, our listeners. Are there any resources that you would recommend that people tap into, whether it's this online forum? uh, Absolutely. I think everyone should, should tap into that. Um, but additionally, are there any sort of resources that you've seen in recent weeks or maybe even just uh, resources that have existed uh, before this whole crisis that you think are really, really, really solid resources for people to tap into to better understand kind of remote work, remote instruction, but also maybe just, um, you know, the realities of, of, of 21st century uh, teaching um, that folks could tap into um, and and you know, if so, what which one of those resources do you think are are especially helpful?
1: So there's a few things that immediately come to mind. Of course, I definitely would recommend um, that folks come into the community because it's it's a really supportive environment. It is free. Um, it is a place where we're all kind of coming in together to to get our work done. And and I would love to see folks there. Um, there's a couple of books that I've also been recommending to people. There's one called Working Virtually. And it's a few years old now, but it does get into a lot of the um, kind of key things you need to think about if you are taking your team remote or you're doing it from an institutional level. And I can give you all the details to, to add it into the show notes. It's a book from Silas Publishing, and I'm just not remembering the author's name right now, but um, we can include that in the show notes. And it goes through a lot of the logistical pieces, but also some of the emotional pieces of moving into a remote environment. And then the other resource that I've really been um, recommending to folks is um, some of the work by Pima Chodron and she's a Buddhist nun Hmm. and she has a wonderful book called when things fall apart, heart advice for difficult times. And I think that one of the things we can't kind of lose sight of is people are dealing with not just stuff on the work side and the professional side, but really some scary things on the personal side too. And depending on what people's family situations are or, You know, if they do know somebody who's ill or um, hopefully, you know, we're we're not experiencing too much of um, the mortality rates here in the U.S., but of course, people are going to start to know people um, who are dying from this. You know, this is serious stuff. And I think that we need to acknowledge the humanity and the human side of what we're dealing with here. So even just talking with people about how are they coping um, with some really difficult things on the personal side, as well as the professional side. So um, I can also give information to link that book in the show notes as well.
0: Yes, fantastic. We'll be linking all of these great resources into the show notes. We'll also be including them in the uh, the announcement email that we send out to folks. Um, My final question for you is, is what if anything gives you hope right now?
1: I would say, Zach, there's a ton that's giving me hope. Um, There's a lot of things, you know, all over the world, you know, as we're watching how people are responding to the situation. Um, People who are dancing on their balconies, people who are, you know, playing music over social media. There's a lot of ways that people are coming together. Um, But I would say just kind of in my immediate vicinity, watching my team dive into supporting our faculty, They've just had incredibly positive attitudes. They've had huge smiles, you know, a willingness to research any issue so that they can provide solutions. Uh, It's been incredible to watch. And I think, you know, we all just want to help our faculty and students ride this out. And it's allowing us all to work more collaboratively and I think gain a sense of real meaning um, from that shared mission. So every time I engage with them, you know, over Zoom or we're just talking through issues and I see that energy they're bringing that gives me a ton of hope for for what this is going to look like in the coming weeks.
0: Katie, thank you very much for your time. This was fantastically helpful. Really appreciate all the work that you're doing that your team is doing. And I look forward to uh, having many of our listeners uh, join your community and start following the work that you guys are doing. Thanks again for your time, especially in the evening. Uh, for, for those listening, and we're recording this, uh, this show after hours. So thank you for your flexibility, Katie, and keep up the great work.
1: Thanks so much for inviting me on the show, Zach. This is really great to chat
0: with you. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there. just a final thank you to blackthorn.io their entire team for making this conversation possible please check them out Uh, request a demo they'll give you a behind the scenes look of how their app works chris kristen and the entire team are fantastic go ahead and make your way on over to blackthorn.io click request a demo read their awesome blog content and let me know give it rollify a shout out if you end up requesting that demo or downloading a piece of their content it really really helps us keep the show running thanks guys